The following podcast, which you are going to enjoy the shit out of, is brought to you by the fine people at Audible.com. Audible.com. If you don't like to read, but you want information in your little head, Audible.com has 150,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, fiction, nonfiction, periodicals. Uh, If you would like to try it out, be my guest. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash Greg. And now, here's a podcast. Welcome to Fitz Dog Radio. My guest uh, sitting across from me right now is um, the lovely, powerful Joe Rogan. Powerful Greg Fitzsimmons. How are you, brother? How did you get so powerful? <laughs> I mean, you were powerful, physically, mentally. Physically working out, well, mentally you, reading books. But do you believe, because um, I was thinking about this, uh, the Pope, you know, made this big, uh, this beautiful statement about how we need to stop getting into people's uh, sex lives. Yeah. And, we need, and, and, you know, he really, to not take a stand is to take a stand for a Pope, mm-hmm. to not say... Gays are bad and is to is a big fucking breakthrough. Right. And I and then somebody wrote an article about how how can you have faith? Faith is not a, a doctrine. It is not a set of rules. Faith is something that in the beginning of your life you believe this because you have tried as hard as you could to find your own truth. And then later in your life, if it's the same set of shit, you didn't live much of a life. It should <laughs> fucking change. And that's essentially what the Pope was saying. And I was thinking, with your martial arts background, isn't that the 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 ultimate strength in martial arts is to not try to enforce a certain move? It's to react. It's to use the the power of the other person to your advantage. Is that a is that an apt metaphor? Am I am I eating gummy bears? Um. Well, it's it is a possibility. Um. The the uh, what you know martial arts, the idea of art. And martial, you know, being war, it doesn't seem to jive with a lot of people because they think of it as just being violence. But where where the art is is in the dance. In that, what's in compelling and intoxicating about martial arts and competition and getting better at martial arts is that everyone brings their own unique attack. You can decide to punch. You can decide to kick. You can decide to move a specific way. It's completely based on what you're trying to do to a person. And then the other person either acts and you clash or reacts and moves or tries to counter. And it becomes this sort of almost like a creative dance. And it doesn't seem like it to people that don't practice it, but to people that, uh, you know, where they've been doing martial arts their whole life, when someone pull something off, it's truly beautiful. I mean, it is just as beautiful as any painting, just as beautiful as any film, or uh, uh, maybe even more so, because you know the stakes are so incredibly high. Well, art, I would think, uh, not to cut you off, but art to me is about being in the moment, and truth. Truth is being what is truthful in this exact moment. And if you think about it, if two guys just went at each other, and they decided... I'm going to go into this fight, and I'm going to throw three overhand rights, then I'm going to kick, kick them, whatever. And both guys did that. They would get horribly injured, both of them. So <laughs> it is an art in the sense that you are yeah. playing off of each other and and using that force, not not going counter to it all the time. Yeah, and there's also an, it's also an art in that it's, 
it's enjoyable for other people to observe. Right. You know, martial arts have always been about not just competing, but competing in front of people. Right. I mean, when was the last time you heard of a fight where it's just two people and no one around? It's very rare. It's almost always either their friends are around and they're sort of egging you on, or it's very rare that two people just go to blows. You know, and in a competition, it's almost unheard of. Two people never get together and meet and say, look, forget the crowds. Let's just figure it out between ourselves. That doesn't happen. You, you, you do it in front of people. It's the thing about boxing, the thing about wrestling, crowds. And right. In that sense, it's an art form. You know, I'm reading this uh, biography of Lincoln right now, and they talk about in the 1840s or so, the idea of dueling sort of went out. I, went, I don't know when, uh, who was the president who had a Duel was it like Van Buren or somebody? Had a duel in office. In office. Oh my god! Right, that's so crazy. And and that it went out of favor. It was seen as barbaric to Whew. duel. And then there was an argument that life became much more barbaric because people were no longer accountable. They like if somebody fucking called you to a duel, you you fucking dueled. So you watched your behavior a little bit. Yeah. And so I was thinking about that with um, you know, just manners in general. I think because there's less. Uh, of what you would describe as go meet me. We got a beef. Let's you and I meet and we'll have a fight. Yeah. That that would be maybe a positive element. Um, Maybe, but I always feel like a way more positive <clears throat> element is introducing martial arts very early into people's lives, especially into kids' lives, because it keeps them from getting involved in violence. Right. Because, first of all, you learn discipline, and you also learn that it's not important. Like, a lot of the reason why people get involved in fights in the first place is they're trying to prove something to themselves. Mm -hmm. And you can get all that out in the gym. Yeah. You know, you get your ego squashed in the gym. Right, right. So you don't need to prop it up. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's a real issue with some men. It's like they get in fights almost like they don't even, especially when alcohol's involved, it's some, they're, they're more trying to, like, prove a point or prove who they are than anything. They're more self-defining. I think the fights that I've been in have mostly been because I get enraged, which is partly physiological, I guess. You know, I mean, you can you can say uh, Irish people drink a lot and they fight a lot and it can be a stereotype, or it can be traceable to the fact that our livers process alcohol differently, so we end up drinking more, which is true. And I would say we fight more because... Uh, what, however we process uh, anxiety or stress is not good because when I get too stressed and angry, I, I can't control it. I go out of control. And underneath it, I think, is my feeling of helplessness in life so that when I get pushed in, a, in an anxious place too far, I feel like I want to exert control over life. I want to feel not uh, uh, as little and helpless. So I fight, mm. which obviously makes you feel Less. You feel even worse after that. You could. If or you, you lose. Can feel great. You can feel great. <laughs> but then even you don't feel that good. No. Even when I win fights, I wouldn't feel that good later. I've never felt great when I won in competition, especially if I knock someone out. Yeah. It's, that was the most bittersweet thing ever, to see someone laying unconscious. Because, first of all, I was under no illusion that that couldn't happen to me. Mm. It never did happen to me, but it easily could have happened to me. There's no doubt about it. I could have gotten kicked right upside the head and went completely asleep. I saw a guy go to sleep for a half an hour. He was unconscious from a head kick for a full half an hour. And then they eventually got him up to sit up and they put him in a stretcher and took him to the hospital. But for a full half hour, he was completely sleeping. Yeah, that guy's... 
He's a little fucked up today, probably. I'm sure. He was 18 yeah. when it happened, too. Right. 18, 19, he was a young man when it happened. Right. Yeah, violence is not the answer, kids. Don't get violent. Get, uh... <laughs> I well, wish there was ever a fucking lesson to my podcast. Uh, I wish there was some. There I guess there is. I guess if there's a lesson, it's um, you know, don't don't become like me. Don't <laughs> don't drive a Prius. And uh, oh, you still have that fucking Prius. I still have Why a don't Prius. you get a goddamn muscle car? You know you want one. I want the muscle car, and I used to think it was the uh, Mustang, but now I swear to God, I have an erection for that Challenger. Challenger's a nice car. I drove wow. one on Joe Rogan Questions Everything. Did you? It's a fun car to drive. Yeah. The V8? Yes, the, the SRT8. And what's nice about it, too, is it's very comfortable. It's like it's a relaxed car. Yeah. It's not, like, too crazy. Like The, the Mustang was a great car as well, but I had a Shelby, and the Shelby's just so raucous. It's so fucking loud and awesome. And you said turns? It would, would it not have good control going into turns? Well, it's, it has a live axle. Which means it doesn't have an independent rear suspension. It's yeah. basically a big fat pipe that wheels are riding on. It's got right. 550 horsepower. The new ones have 660. Wow. It's insane the amount of horsepower they're putting into those Shelbys. Damn. But, you know, you stomp on the gas around the corner and the ass end just goes, wow. Right, it's right. completely sideways. Yeah. It's really easy to break the ass end down. Yeah. And fun because of that. But it's My a, Prius, sometimes if I really stomp on it into a turn, um, people laugh at me. The, the lights go out. <laughs> The door's locked. Batteries. <laughs> the radio turns on the Spanish <sighs> channel. <laughs> I told you last week I blew out blew out a fucking tire. Yeah. Uh, you should just get rid of it. Well, I, I, I told my son. My son is like, Dad, why don't Because he knows I want one also. He goes, why don't you just buy a Mustang? And I was like, well, if something something good happens career-wise. And then I got this show. I sold this show. And he's like, you going to get the Mustang now? And I realized what a fucking pussy I am. I'm like, no, nah, it's got to be a series. It's just a pilot now. When is it going to be? How what, old how do much, I have to be? Would, how much are you willing to spend if you were going to buy something? Well, in, I could sell my in. Prius for like 25 so what would you? How much more would you spend? I guess ten. <laughs> well, you can get the Mustang that the, the, the Mustang GT is. The, it's, it's a, a three hundred three, and yeah. you can get it for about thirty grand. That's a great car, right? And the Mustang GT is like the as as far as like base cars, they're ridiculously powerful. Yeah, it's over four hundred horsepower. That's all I need for the base car. Right. Yeah, it's incredible. So I mean, what are you laughing at? Fly, but it's like you gotta t- <laughs> spend some of that money. Live a little. I'm so obsessed with my kids going to college, man. Listen, it'll be great for your kids to fucking accumulate a little debt. Right. I know. The only problem with kids going to college when you pay for everything is it doesn't mean shit to them. Right. I know. I know. That's real. Now, I was thinking about driving over here. I was thinking about you and me and what the difference is because I feel jealous of you that you live, you drive these cars, and you fucking... Get high when you want. You travel when you want. And you work out, and you just do whatever the fuck you want. And as much as compared to the average U.S. American male, I am fucking so close to you. People can't tell the difference. Right. But from where I'm sitting, I'm a guy driving a Prius who fucking doesn't you know, like it. I, I'm not you. I, I and I want to. I want to get closer to what you are. But I'm afraid. Well, we've always been like this. You remember when we were when we were really young and I had a car that got repossessed. You're like, right. why do you have this fucking car that's so expensive? Because I love it. Fuck it. I've always been <laughs> and that guy. And you leased it. I yeah. had to own mine. I had yeah. to be able to pay for it up front. Mm. You didn't give a fuck. 
it got repossessed because yeah. you missed payments. Yeah, yeah. Well, I when I went from being a martial arts instructor to being a stand-up comedian, I went fucking broke right. hard. And that was when we first became friends. Yeah. That was the transitionary period. We were both open micers. We were both struggling. When I decided that I had to do it, I'm like, this is... I went balls out. I had a real job. I mean, I was teaching at uh, Boston University. I had my own school. And that was what I was doing for a living. I was like, I had a, an actual career in teaching martial arts. Right. I had like real credentials. I was a you know, multiple time martial arts champion. So it was like I could get people in my classes. And I, I was like, this is not what I want to do anymore. I got I to gotta quit. I can't just keep doing this and doing that. I can't have feet in both worlds. It's right. just not me. So I just quit everything, cold turkey, and then delivered newspapers and did construction and all that kind of shit to drive uh, my uh, my need to become a comedian. And that's when I lost the car. <laughs> that's when you lost the it. car. But, I mean, just in terms of, like, I go to bed at night, and I think about I, I'm afraid of things. I told you I have to listen to audiobooks yeah. because I can't. Uh, which, by the way, I should talk about Audible in a second. But I don't know what it is down there. I'm all set. My life is pretty set, you know? You're very successful. You're very successful as a comedian. You're very successful as a father. You're very successful as a husband. You're very successful as a writer. You're very successful as a radio guy. you got a lot of success, but you still don't feel satisfied. Is a fear. No, fear. I'm not unsatisfied at all. I don't think that's it. I think that I'm afraid of Anxiety? tomorrow. I don't think it's going to keep coming. I think it's all going to go away right away. Well, eventually one day you're going to be right, and we know that for sure. I'm going to die. You're going to die. Everyone who listens to this is going to die. There's no getting around that. Right. I think it's all about living in the moment and not dwelling on the inevitable demise. Because if you dwell on that, you can also dwell on illness. I mean, the saddest thing is watching someone who can't touch things, watching someone who's afraid to shake hands. Like, I take pictures after my shows, and, uh, you know, I took pictures in Toronto this weekend, and I put them up on my website, and it's like 250 fucking plus people I'm hugging and shaking hands with. You and take so, the pictures? No, you know, I have someone take a picture, and then I put them up on my website. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it's great. And uh, I used to just take pictures with people, but they would use their cameras, their fucking cell phone camera, and no one knows how to work their goddamn That's camera. That's smart. It takes forever. And I've seen you uh, after shows, like at the Ice House, and you fucking, you will spend time, and you're good at this because you'll give them their shot, but you also don't slow the line down. You keep moving. Yeah. And you give them their dignity, but you also don't, you don't suffer a fucking bore. Well, you can't be rude to the other people that are waiting because it's right. a long ass line of people waiting. Right. But my point is that I shake all these people's hands and I don't worry about it. But I have a friend who was like, I can't believe you touch all those people's hands. Yeah. And I was like, why not? And they're like, you know, you don't worry about diseases or cold. I go, wash your fucking hands afterwards. Right. What's the big deal? Right. I go, I think it's probably good for your immune system to shake a lot of different people's hands. Yeah, if there's something going around, I'll get paranoid about it. Like if I'm in if I'm in Michigan in the winter and there's yeah. a flu, I'm I'm fucking I get the Purell immediately. Yeah. But I it's not gonna bother me. It's only if you touch your eyes exactly. and your face. So exactly. you wash your hands when you're done and you're if good. You, yeah, if you're shaking hands with people and you don't touch your mouth, you're not gonna get it right. in your body. Right. But if I blow a guy, like after show, if somebody yeah. really laughs hard. Especially how much, they, how much they come when you blow them. Right. If I... <laughs> <laughs> That's why I try to let off at the end. I, I, you know, I don't touch the balls because I can handle a couple swallows. Just put a little teeth into it. Just annoy them enough. To... Now's when I do the Audible ad. Audible.com, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, because this is the kind of thinking that is a result. I talk about it all the time. I, have, I don't have a ton of sponsors on my show because I take ones on that I believe in. Audible.com is a company that has provided me with sleepful nights. Night after night, I listen to boring biographies 
that I that put me to bed right away. Or during the day, I listen to shit that I really that makes me laugh. Like right now, um, David Sedaris' new book, "Let's Explore Diabetes with Owls." Holy shit, laughing out loud in my car. Um, I catch up on books. You can get a free one. Get an audio book. Try it out. Call me a liar. Okay, go ahead. Try it. Audiblepodcast.com slash Greg. Download one. Listen to it. If you enjoy it, you will find uh, the service simple. The landing page will show you every type of book you can imagine by genre, by awards, whatever. Uh, Get involved. Support the show. Audiblepodcast.com slash Greg. Get a free download. Enjoy it. Joe Rogan. I use Audible. It's awesome. Do you? Yeah, they're a podcast sponsor of mine as well. Yeah. It's an amazing service. They have so much good shit on there. It's really awesome. And I really feel like um, I sitting with a book in my lap, Just I, I still do it, and it feels really good. But it just, my wife looks at me if I'm reading. And again, this is the difference between us. I can train her to not do that. I can if if she were to give me shit about sitting and reading, there's a way that I can just not accept that and she'll stop doing. It. I'm a big believer in nobody has a fucking bitch wife who won't let them whatever. No, you didn't let you go out that mm, night. She yes, didn't. Exactly. She may have preferred you didn't, exactly. but you gave into it. Yeah. Yeah, oh that's real. And then those people, this is what drives me fucking crazy. Is guys who are henpecked they they almost want other people to be henpecked as well. Of course, you know, right? like oh come on, your wife doesn't let you do anything either, and you're like, no, yes, you can, right. you can, you can, you can have a relationship where you let your wife go out and you go out and she can go to, with her friends somewhere and you can go with your friends somewhere. Right. That, that is possible, right. just like it's possible for friends to have other friends. It's, Not only possible, I really believe that um, mental health is the number one thing, and if my wife knows that I'm fucking stressed out. I've been working a lot. If I don't go to the gym, I'm not helping anybody. If I don't go play golf with my friend once in a while, I'm not going to be a happy guy. That's not good for anybody. It's not good for anybody. So I'm the same way with her. You know, there's certain things she needs to do. I support. And, uh, you know, and and it's not quid pro quo. Like, oh, well, you did this, so I get to do that. That's just as bad as not letting them do it in the first place. Well, that's like you own them then. You know, that's like some weird, that's a weird fucking relationship. That's also a relationship where you want someone to do something that they don't want to do, which I always think is bad. Right. You want someone to do something for you. Well, you told me I could do this. No, you should do that. And like, who the fuck are you? Like, are you a friend? Do you love that person? Or is that person property? Are you working a business deal? Like, what is this? No, what I like is she observes me, and she may have judgment on it, but the judgment doesn't encompass controlling me. It's Mm. just, you jerked off while driving? (laughs) And she won't say it's dangerous or it's gross. She's just sort of like, it amuses her. It amuses her. Well, how could she get it? How could you get what it's like to be pregnant? How could she get it's what it's like to have the satisfaction of blowing a load under your shirt while you're driving? Right. And just patting it down and keep driving. That's it. And make sure there's not a trucker. <laughs> if there's a trucker next to you, he can well, see. Watch. Fuck him. Fuck, Fuck him. As long as he doesn't have a cell phone hanging out the window, <laughs> zooming in. Especially that new one that you have. It's very right. clear and beautiful and slow I know. motion. I got the new iPhone. Slow motion, Arcing baby. ropes of jism slowly <laughs> blasting off of your dick. Right. And the fear in her eyes. You can see it better. <laughs> Why does your wife stare at you when you read books? What is that about? It's not so much that she doesn't want me to, but there's a time when you have two kids that are, you know, home from school and it's like between dinner and bedtime, there's a there's a pace that happens and if I'm home, I should be a part of it. Right. But that's when I want to read. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, that that's a weird thing. That's a that's a different. Thing. That's when you got to pitch it. That has um, that has become a uh, a big part of my life that I didn't sort of foresee. I thought when, you know, I had kids, I was like, well, when you have kids, you know, you have kids, I mean, your life will change a little bit, but you can still do the things you do. Sort of yes, but when I'm home and my kids are up, I'm with my kids, right. like, and you have to. I didn't know that you had to until I had them. And I'm like, oh, they want you around all the time. Right. Like, they don't just want you around sometime. And you could conceivably go off on your own, but I wouldn't enjoy it because then I would think that I, I was being selfish. Right. Maybe sometimes in the morning I'm checking my email or from certain things I have to get done. But I may, in, unless I'm home for a long stretch of time, I make a real concerted effort when they're up to be with them. I put them to bed, I read stories to them, and then, thankfully, they go to bed early, then I have my time. So I do almost all my right. writing, all my reading, everything while everyone's asleep. Yeah, and plus, if I'm on the road on a regular basis, that means I've got all day Friday and Saturday, usually, to get through my emails, write some material, whatever I need to do. So when I'm back, I take the first flight home on Sunday morning, yeah. and I'm fucking so happy to see them. And the day flies because yeah. I know they're going to school on Monday morning. Yeah. So this is it. I get some of my best writing done on planes. Yeah. Can't go anywhere, you know, especially if they don't have Wi-Fi. I get excited when a plane doesn't have Wi-Fi. I'm right. Like, yes. Right. Pull out the laptop. It's and a I, cubicle. I, I, I say the laptop has six hours of battery. If I can write until the laptop battery goes out, I'm golden. You right. Know, if I'm on a six-hour flight, golden. Just I remember when we, we worked together recently and- uh, we were going from San Francisco to Seattle, and we get to the airport, and we're checking in, and you saw my ticket, you're like, you're in coach? I'm like, yeah, we're going fucking, going an hour. And you take my ticket, you run it up, pull out your credit card, and you go, put this asshole in first class with me. And that's it. Why don't I fly first class, Joe? I can afford it. I don't know. I think What's you, the matter with me? you're more conservative than me. Oh. I just, uh, I'm, I'm a big chance taker. Right. But I'm not. I don't gamble. You know, I'm not. No. I'm not stupid. You don't drink. But I spend money. Right. Yeah. I do drink. I mean, I'll have a couple of drinks, but I don't get fucked up. On no, a but I don't mean. Basis. I mean, drink. I yeah. mean, commit to it. Like go out. Let's go drink. No, and you no. don't womanize. I mean, we're no. similar in a lot of ways. In a lot of well, ways. We're what? Yeah, in a lot of ways. We're, um, you just you just don't take it that next. Right. I don't give a fuck level. Right. I need that. Yeah. I gotta get there, man. It's well, my only, it's my biggest it's challenge. It's tricky. Do you have a good nest egg stashed yeah. away? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we so fucking buy that Mustang, man. Jesus fucking Christ, son. Right. Buy that Mustang. You really will enjoy it. I enjoy my cars. You know, people will say that cars are like shallow or that they're materialistic, but driving a fast car is fucking fun for me. The day I get it, the first place I'm going is your fucking house. <laughs> I'm just going to honk Come out front. Come on over, we'll play pool. <laughs> <laughs> I did it, man. I'm alive. Boom, boom. Make sure you get a stick shift. If you don't, you'll, you'll fucking hate yourself. Yeah, you know, I get a... Hamstring thing. <laughs> Joe Rogan, let's talk about some things going on with you. Jesus Christ, your podcast is uh, really big with the kids. Uh, the Joe Rogan experience, everybody, of course, knows it. It's um, it's a three-hour show, <coughs> roughly, depending on who you have on. You do it, what, three to four times a week? Depends. This week it's only two. Okay. Sometimes I feel like I'm burnt out a little. I'll yep. back off. Yeah. And then you've also got this show on the Sci-Fi channel that is uh, fantastic. It's called um, Joe Rogan. Questions blah, everything. Blah blah. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, we did it all. They all six episodes aired. That was a wild ride, man. Because it was uh, they picked it up. We brought it into them. They pitched it, and then it was on the air a couple months later. Right. 
So we, we just, they said, look, we'd like to have it on the air, you know, within blank amount of time. And we were like, holy shit. They bought six episodes right away. No pilot. Never happens. Yeah, never happens. So we just had to go guns blazing. And it was brutal. Because at the same time, I was still doing my podcast. I was still doing stand-up. And I was still doing the UFC. And I still have a family. So And the show requires traveling. All a lot time. of traveling. It was a lot of traveling. Right. I, did, I was on the road every week. Every week I was traveling, to f- flying to North Carolina to meet with some psychic expert or flying to Washington, D.C. To meet with some transhumanism guy who has a, uh, uh, you know, uh, some fucking laboratory, or a woman who created a, a, a she had a, a robot version of her own spouse that I had to communicate with, and it was like so, it was so much craziness. Flying to New York City, City for this conference, then flying to Houston, Texas, to meet with these people that have this strange skin disease. Did you were you involved in post at all? Or you just said I'm going to do it. You guys, I was involved only in you can't do like I would say this can't go. I can't do, but a few things got on that I didn't know. Mm. You know that that I, I, if I had more time, I would have liked to have been edited out. I would have liked certain things to have been changed. It was hard to do. They tried to there was. There's a formula that a lot of those reality shows follow, and they have cliffhangers at every right, commercial, right. and they, they, they also do a lot of like fucking sneaky editing, where it's disingenuous right. editing. Yeah. And there, a little bit of that went on in the early episodes, but we had it pretty much cured by the time the third one went on. So the last three, I was more happy with. So you'd sign the, off on them before they aired? Some of them. The first couple of them, I didn't get a chance to. It was just mm. it was too much work. Yeah. We were, we were, it was insane. We were looking for Bigfoot and fucking traveling the Pacific Northwest. It was there was so much travel and nuttiness. It was yeah. such a wild ride to get them done. But the ratings were great. The ratings are pretty good. Um, so I, mean, I don't know how the rest were, but I saw in the first week when it came out, it was a monster. There was three, um, and there was better the second week. There was three um, episodes that did really well, and then we got killed by Duck Dynasty. And Shark Week, <laughs> oh. those two, those two got us. But that's the you know that's it's also a really new show, so a lot of people didn't know about it. And if they have the shows that they already go to, sometimes it's hard to get them to. Right. You know, people people when it's a show like Dexter or a show like whatever it is, you know, they get into it and then that becomes their show. And right. it, it takes a while to do that. Right. So it did well enough. So I don't know if we're gonna do it again. I don't. Here's the problem. Here's the number one problem. It wasn't just the amount of work. The real problem was, how many subjects are there for real? And the real problem besides that is, the the mystery subjects like UFOs or Bigfoot, the reality is, once you get down to brass tacks, you're dealing with a bunch of bullshit artists. And so I would be out there in the woods or, you know, talking to these people who claim to be encountering UFOs on a daily basis, and I'd be like, oh, you're a fucking liar. Like, you're a liar. I flew all the way out here. Yeah. There was one time when we went to Utah, and me and Duncan, you know, flew in and drove two hours, and then within five minutes of talking to this guy, he tells me that he saw, big, he smells like gin, he tells me he saw Bigfoot, he yeah, saw a Bigfoot the first time he ever went looking, uh, he learned some calls that he saw on a TV show, and Bigfoot came immediately. Um, he uh, saw a bulletproof wolf that appeared out of mist. There was a wormhole. The bulletproof wolf came out of this mist and appeared right in front of him. And he saw UFOs. Like, this is in five. And then he's smoking, and then he throws his cigarette into the bushes. And I was like, what the fuck? So did you cut and run, or did you try to salvage it? How, how to salvage it. Yeah. How to, I mean, we're there. We have to film things. You know, right. he claims that there's an area where there's you know, very frequent UFO sightings. 
And um, this area is known as a hotbed for UFO activity. And I think there's actually, what's, the interesting thing about doing the show is there were some real answers we got to some things. Right. And I think with this one, although we didn't talk about it on the air because there was no proof, I think what they're dealing with is a phenomenon called ball lightning. And ball lightning is a real phenomenon where lightning sometimes exists in a, like a ball that flies through the air and can exist for like as much as three or four seconds, just right in front of you, just fly, like three or four seconds is a long fucking time. They've, they've seen them on airplanes where they've appeared, gone through the airplane, and shot down the aisle. Like, this has been reported. It's never been filmed, yeah. but enough eyewitnesses have, have stated it that scientists believe it to be true. And it's a very strange phenomenon, this ball lightning. But if you were in this area, which is known to have a lot of geolo- geogra- geological activity, there's um, it's a really old area. There's like petrified wood everywhere, all these strange like mountains and shit like that. When these tectonic plates move, and sometimes they can create these these bursts of ball lightning as well. So there's the atmospheric ball lightning. There's, there's, there's orbs that can actually come out of the ground from... Um, uh, from actual the the release of energy from plates moving, so there's real scientific phenomenon that can account for some of these UFO sightings. I think that's probably what we're dealing with with the local residents being like so adamant. So many of them that seem so normal. We're talking about these orbs that they saw. Yeah, I think it's probably ball lightning. But then there's also bullshit artists, and the bullshit artists were the real problem. Yeah. The- yeah, that is the problem because it's like, um, you know, at a certain point, there's so many shows that take on, you know, whether it's Mythbusters or, you know, yeah. uh, the millions of shows on Discovery Channel that you are going into some well-trod territory. Yeah. So for you to go in, it's like, all right, well, you are a seeker. You know, your whole podcast is about asking people and not shitting on people, but finding out what the story is. So it's going to have that different angle to it. But at the same time, your producers have to be good enough to vet out stuff that there's something there. They didn't really have a chance, unfortunately, because of the schedule, because of this crazy six-week schedule right. to try to film six-hour-long specials within you know a couple of months. It was really fucking hard to do. Right. So they did their best. And also, like, some, I'm really good at spotting bullshit, and some people are not. It's, it's, some people just are not good. You know, they, they listen to a guy, the guy speaks well, and they say, well, he sounds pretty believable. Mm-hmm. And then I'll talk to him for three seconds, and I'll go, what happened? Oh, what? Right. Well, you have no emotional connection to the words coming out of your mouth. Yes, I do. And like, oh, you're bullshitting me. Right. No, I'm not. You know, and like, like, how did you not know this guy's bullshitting? Right. Like, they don't see it, like, for whatever reason. Some people aren't that good at being honest with themselves. And the people that are not good at being honest with themselves are not good at recognizing bullshit. Well, that's why you've got cults. I mean, when I think I was, uh, mm. I did a show at the UCB the other night. It's across the street from that Dianetics Center. Yes. And I saw some of the Dianetics people walking down the street, and you think to yourself, these fucking people show up here. They might have been misguided enough to get talked into showing up, but they stay for a decade. A decade <laughs> of people telling them that they have to work 12, 14 hours a day, get paid no money, live, wear this kind of haircut, fucking, you know, they, they're completely dehumanized humanized in every way, and they never smell the bullshit that whole fucking time. Yeah. They want to belong. That's what it is. A lot of people are lonely. And they want to belong. And a lot of people love being a part of a group, whether it's Raiders fans or male feminists. I was just going to say, it's like sports. Yeah, it is. You know, and that we were talking about feminism earlier on your show. I think feminism has become a team. You know, I think I, I, I've had 
communication with people where there was, you know, no uh, resistance to their ideas whatsoever on my part. But they would like automatically insult males, insult people like me, insult, you know, like call me a meathead or a jock or something. I'm like, look, I'm on your team more than you believe. Mm-hmm. I'm on I'm, the, I'm on a team of equality. And I'm on the team of nonviolence against women. I'm on the team of people being nice to people, period. Whether it's men to women or women to men or men to men or women to women. I'm on, a t- I'm on team be nice. And I think it's important. And I think this, this idea that, you know, these groups, whether it's liberals or Republicans or whether it's hunters or whether it's, you know, people who are vegans, they find a, a, a group of people that they, they all bond together with that in common and then they become a fucking team mm. and they oppose the rest. They, I've had arguments with vegans where, it, like, the, I know you're going to see my point one day, man. I know you're an right. open-minded guy. You're going to see right. my point one day. Animals die! Right. They die and they eat each other. Mm. Do you understand that? We live in a strange world. You are temporary. I am temporary. You know, the unnecessary suffering of animals, it's not unnecessary. Mm. You get meat out of it. Not, and not only that, it's as quick as fuck. You ever shoot an animal? I've shot animals. It's quick as fuck. If you, if you do diligence, you learn how to shoot a rifle, it takes five seconds. They die quickly. Right. And if it doesn't, even if you have to shoot them twice, Jesus Christ, do you, do you, do you know what happens if you don't shoot them? They get eaten by coyotes. They all die that way. Every fucking deer dies by getting eaten by another animal. That's how they die. Either they get hit by cars, in which case a lot of people die, or they freeze to death, which sucks a fat dick, or they get eaten by a predator, or a hunter comes along and kills them quicker than anything will. Right. And well, it's all about getting dug in on that so you become a martyr for your side. You know, there's yes. the, like you look at the Republican Party right now and what they're doing is shut down the government because mm-hmm. of Obamacare. Now, that's no longer about finding the truth. That's about we created a situation where if we're not right about Obamacare, our party is fucked for 50 years because they put their whole bet in on Obamacare is a failure and will ruin the government. So at this point, now that it is legally and with the vote of the people moving forward, they have to stop it because it might work. And if it does, that's the worst thing that can happen. So they're going to shut down the government to make a point. I don't understand Obamacare. I haven't looked into it. And it's got major flaws. I, I have friends who are doctors who hate it. Right. So I don't know who's right or who's wrong. I don't think it's right or wrong. I think it's like putting up. Uh, a, a new government, putting up any new institution. There's going to be bumps in the road. You're going to learn on the job. You're going to make corrections. But the spirit of it being um, that we need some type of a socialized medicine. <clears throat> uh, well, I whether or not think. this is the exact program, you, there is no exact answer before it goes into play. You won't know. Right. But but if both side, if one side is trying to ruin it, it has no chance of working. I certainly think that as humans, we should be compassionate and we should try to help each other. And I think that one of the best ways we can help each other is to keep each other healthy and to help each other when something goes wrong, we get sick. And if we're using our money to fix the roads and we're using our money to hire teachers, we should use our money to pay for medical care. Right. Like, it's really simple. It should be a part of what taxes go towards. Mm-hmm. And I think it should be. Un- it's, I don't think it's up for debate. Oh, my God. A guy's fucking vacuuming guy. right in front of the door. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Man, that, Shut every, him time, down! every time I think my job is rough, I see some dude so, at midnight with a, with eight fucking kids. eight 
electrical cords on his arm and a vacuum, and he's got a bunch of kids. And then you're going to see that dude waiting for a bus. How shitty are these soundproof hours. doors? They're not good. They're fucking They're not good. terrible. We're in the not, new that's studio. not soundproof at all. We yeah. heard people talking outside the door. And why windows? Why, why does there need to be windows in a recording booth? Just make sure you're not fucking in here. Right. You could be in here fucking up a storm, Greg Fitzsimmons. Jesus. Well, too bad these windows are um, yeah, the Obamacare thing. I think the idea is a is a the idea of universal health care is a great idea. And as long as long as you could also choose and get a really great doctor if you can mm. afford it, you know, as long as the uh, ideas of competition still exist, I think competition makes people really good at it. Someone who gets compensated well for something makes someone the best at it. Right. You know, and if you have the cash to pay for the best best brain surgeon, I think that should be an option. It should be possible. Well, the crazy thing now is that. There's going to be more and more forks in the road where somebody will be able to afford living mm-hmm. and some will not. You know, we'd like no matter how much Obamacare kicks in, there's always going to be a privatized version of it mm-hmm. where, you know, that you can put up a half a million dollars and cure something. Yeah, there is going to be that issue, right? There's always going to be the issue of uh, people having more people having access to something that other people can't have access to and should they be able to. Right. You know, and that's a where crazy uh, big question. Well, it becomes even bigger actually with the subject of transhumanism because one of the things that I learned in doing this show is that we went to this uh, Global Future 2045 initiative uh, this conference, rather, and what they're working on is a bunch of different technologies that are going to allow people to live a substantial amount of time. Maybe thousands of years. What they're saying is the person who's alive today will be the first person who lives to be 300 years old. Like now? People, yes, today? The people that are alive right now will wow. be the first people within their lifetimes. Perhaps perhaps within our lifetimes, there will be technology that not just halts the aging process, but actually reverses it. Gives you young skin. Gives you, reverses brain damage. They're working on reversing damage to n- neural tissue. They're working on being able to create, they have these artificial blood cells that are the same size as a blood cell, and they're going to allow you to hold your breath underwater for four hours. Hours. This is within our lifetime. This is within a decade, by the way. This is uh, Ray Kurzweil, too. There's not crazy people saying this. He's the guy who, uh, author of uh, The Age of Spiritual Machines, and he's uh, the the subject of that documentary, um, Transcendent Man. And, you know, we were, he was telling me that, like, this is within 10 years. They're going to have these blood cells. They're going to inject them into your system, and they will be so efficient at processing oxygen, you'll be able to take a deep breath and go to the bottom of a pool for four hours. Wow. He said it's coming. And he said the real issue <clears throat> is going to be the use of them in athletics and th- that regular athletes, it's going to be it's going to be silly to have like regular yeah. bodies. And, be, and because uh, injuries, a, a big part of being an athlete is managing your injuries and sure. there won't be injuries. Anymore. And recovery. You'll a just big, play. How hard can you train and how, how much willpower do you have to get up in the morning and, and train when you're tired and sore and force right. your body to get into shape? Right. You won't have to. You no. have to fucking get an injection. You fly over the moon. Yeah, it's amazing when when you think about it. And then what we're waiting for is, um, I guess there there'd always been population controls in place, whether you know pestilence, war, mm. what have you. Mm. And now we've gotten to a point where there's all these things that are enabling life to continue and grow. Um, 
it only leaves global warming. This is going to be the big Actually, correction. That's where it gets weird because that's not what they're saying. The trend amongst the people who are actually paying attention to the statistics as far as like the, the elevation of society and what happens when societies get elevated into first world societies. One of the first things that happens is people start having more important careers. And in having more important careers, they have less children. Less kids. They have less children. There's far more children in less developed areas like India, like areas where there's extreme poverty, they have more kids. And they also have more kids because they need someone to take over the family, mm -hmm. to, to take care of the family, take care of the family name. That's a huge, huge issue with them. The, you, you, what they're seeing is in trends where um, once economically deprived areas are becoming more successful, they have less kids. So, in fact, the worry is that we are going to have a low population problem and not an overpopulation problem within the next hundred years in developed areas. The in real developed area, areas. <clears throat> but the real question is how long before the undeveloped areas or the, the third world areas become developed? And the trend is pushing towards that to happen. Right. If you look, there's places that like, you know, that never had cell phone signals before. And you see these incredibly poor people, and they're all having cell phones. Like, most of the population has cell phones now. But that doesn't make them develop because there's no work. Trend, but it's a trend. Right. And it's also a trend that in these areas, uh, industry starts moving in, and they start taking advantage of the workforce and this uh, this uh, use of uh, unskilled labor. And, like, look, if you, if you call customer service for Dell, you get fucking India. Mm -hmm. You know, and the the idea is that this, even though it's it's impoverished and and bad now, that this trend will continue, and that these areas, if if taken care of correctly, will become more developed, and hence the population will drop. I'm not sure if I understand it or agree with it, but what I do know is the the main guys that are following the trends of overpopulation actually say that this is an issue in developed areas. Interesting. Yeah. But do you believe <clears throat> that there will be like a West Nile virus or avian? flu or even an AIDS that will significantly take a toll on the population of the world. We actually did an episode on that and we actually went to um, a level four lab in Galveston, Texas that had Ebola. They had hemorrhagic viruses. They had these four foot thick concrete walls, bulletproof glass. We had to go through all these jumps and loops, uh, security clearances. We had to wear suits, the yeah. whole deal. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It was pretty intense stuff. Um, I actually didn't wear the suit because I didn't want to even deal with it. If you go into a specific area, they had to put this vacuum sealed thing on. I'm like, nope. I go, you can show me people doing it. Yeah. I don't need to do that. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to do a stunt for a TV show. But um, we, we did have to uh, go through all these you know, various protocols and not go into certain areas and not touch certain things. And they showed us how they clean the air. And they said... The, these are the people that are in charge, is that the real worry is not nuclear energy. The real worry is not, not you know, terrorism. The real worry is biology. The real worry is something like the Spanish flu that comes along, some new thing. There's something called MERS right now, M-E-R-S. It kills 50% of the people who get it. And right now it's limited to the Middle East. But, is it airborne? Uh, no, I don't believe it is. Uh, I don't know how it's transferred. We should probably Google that. It's called M-E-R-S. But... Um, when we were talking to disease experts, infectious disease experts, like, this is a serious fucking disease. And if this disease somehow or another starts spreading in mass, like the way the flu does, you could have, in Manhattan, you, like, you could have 8 million people dead. Like, if this hits Tokyo, you could have 4 million people dead. Middle Eastern Respiratory Symdo Syn Syndrome. And they say that uh, in the... 
that would be in the province of Al Hassa in eastern Saudi Arabia, and 58 deaths have occurred. Acquired by person-to-person -person transmission in intensive care units. That's where it's spread. So yeah. stay out of the hospital. By the way, sick. that's another place where a lot of people are catching incurable diseases like MRSA. Right. You know, medicine-resistant staph infections. Right, staph infections. They're getting staph infections they can't cure, and they're right. getting them in hospitals. No, it's staph incredible. infections, that, that's, the, that's the biggest thing. And as you start to see... Um, uh, emergency rooms are going to spring up all over the place now because of uh, Obamacare. <laughs> They're <laughs> not going to be MRSA's sterile. going to be everywhere. 30,000 yeah. fucking people a year die from that, right. from medicine-resistant staph infections. Yeah. It's incredible. And once it spreads, it's like, did you see that movie with uh, where it spread around the world very quickly? Uh, what the fuck was it world called? World War Z? No, before that. it was Outbreak? About, yeah. Yeah. That was fucking Dustin crazy yeah. because it was all, none of it was a stretch. Mm -hmm. None yeah. of it seemed like, nah, that'll never happen. It just hasn't happened yet. Right. I mean, in, the, in the history of the world, in the history of biology, the, you know, the 1918 Spanish flu, that's nothing. That's just a blink ago. That's and it nothing. killed one out of five people in Europe. And it killed mostly healthy people. Right. It's really interesting. It was more devastating to people that had a, a powerful immune system. If your immune system was healthy, you were more likely to die from it. But didn't it was the Spanish flu? But didn't we send it over there? Yes. Well, they call it the Spanish flu, but it actually originated. The first known case of it was in a military base in Kansas. Right. Virginia, Virginia might have been Virginia. I think yeah. it's Virginia. But that was the uh, first known case, and right. it started affecting soldiers, and it started killing these young, healthy soldiers. And they're like, "This is crazy. These guys were healthy, and then a week later, they're fucking dead." Like this, we've never seen anything like that. It shows this you before. how good the PR machine is in the U.S. Called, called the Spanish flu. Yeah. Blame the Spicks. <laughs> the Spicks did it. <laughs> they're taking our jobs. <laughs> they're taking our jobs and they're killing our young men. There's, yeah. um, yeah, there's a lot of, uh, if you ever go to Kansas City, there's a World War One museum there that's incredible. Uh, it's like the war that I didn't know anything about till I went to that museum. Well, what they were talking about with this transhumanism thing is that with people with a lot of money, that's going to be a real issue, that they're going to be able to live forever. And the people that are poor are going to be able to die off. And then what happens then? You know, what happens when you've been alive for a fucking thousand years and you're accumulating resources for a thousand years? What shot does a baby have of mm -hmm. getting a free stake in this world? A young person who grows up and like you've rigged the entire system over the course of your influence over a thousand years of accumulating gold nuggets and fucking lobbyists. I mean, what yeah. what what? power and influence are you going to have? It's going to be pretty fucking substantial. You think about like the Rothschilds and the the, the bankers of today. Because they essentially have always existed as if they were one human life. Exactly. They just pass it on quietly yep. and mm -hmm. secretly. Inside the family and, you know, people have trust funds. And I have a, uh, a friend um, who uh, has uh, his wife's friend is this fucking really 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 wealthy guy his his family is this incredibly wealthy um they they own just a gigantic i don't want to say the name they own this gigantic company and so this guy his whole life has grown up with millions and millions of dollars his his family's multi-billionaires mm. and this guy has no ambition right he is a 45 year old fucking loser 
he's a loser, man. Right. Every every penny his parents give him, he tries to invest in something, loses everything. He's lost millions of dollars in investments, gets into the real estate and just starts buying real estate right in 2007, buys it at the top of the market, loses everything. I mean, this is like what this guy does. He went through, He not only did he have uh, a trust fund, but he had a backup trust fund. He blew through both of those. And now he has a job. And, of course, the job is within the family. He's got Dude, a job. I am taking my kid's college fund and buying a Challenger tomorrow. <laughs> That's all I need is— Now, and I really think about that with—you um, know, we were never supposed to pass down wealth. And this there was a reaction to that kind of European dynasty. When we started the Constitution, it was like you, you, there was supposed to be a high death tax. Yeah. It's called an estate tax. Now they call it a death tax because it makes everybody think like it's going to happen to them. No, it's happening to that little fraction of people that can keep you down by just just serendip- surreptitiously you know keeping the the they're they're unchallenged if you here's the thing I'm fucking bumbling because I'm I get really upset about this if you really think that your genes are so special that you deserve billions of dollars let your kid go out into the workplace on an even playing field he should come home with tons of money right isn't he special isn't he related to you then, then why do you need to? Why does he get the lottery twice? You're born into a family that has billions. You get the best education, nannies, vacations, whatever. Why do you then hit the lottery again when you turn 21 and get a fucking trust fund? There's a good point to that. And this guy, when he talks about it, he's pretty open. And he said, whatever you do, never give your sons money. Yeah. He goes because it kills all their ambition. And he's a, he's a very unhappy person. Yeah. He's very, well, he was very wealthy. He's pretty. It's, it's all normal now. I mean, he just he has a regular job within the company, and I'm sure he probably makes six figures. But you know, you're talking about a guy who had this house on the beach in Malibu. I mean, it was on Broad Beach, you know, which is the what they call billionaire beach, mm-hmm. and he had you know, 200 feet of fucking sand beach in front of him, and this castle overlooking the the beautiful Pacific Ocean. Lost that. Lost everything. Can't keep it together. He's got nothing. He's not a man. Mo money, mo problems. He's he's not a man. If if you were on a ship with him and the ship hit an island, he'd be the first guy that'd be a problem. He's got no character. He's just never had to develop. When you think about who you are, and I think about the struggles that I had to go through in life to to become successful and to to be at a point where I can buy things like a nice car and not have to worry about stuff or have a nice house, how did that happen? Well, it happened because I failed a lot and I went through and I had no money and I had no backup plan. I had no net. There was no way that anybody was going to bail me out of it. There wasn't. There was no money in my family, so I had to develop the character to get things done. And if you you take away a kid's fear of failure. You take away that safety net. You take away their opportunity to develop character. And it's kind of fucked up that we want to save our kids from danger and we want to protect them from adversity. But that's the only thing that makes you like understand who you are as a person. You have to go through difficult shit to kind of figure out like what's what's bad about getting dumped what's bad about getting fired what's bad about losing your car getting it repossessed what's bad about right. you know, not being able to eat what's bad yeah, about what's bad about seeing your friends all have something that you don't have yeah and you know and I, that's the thing i struggle with with my kids is i i want to give them like i just got the new iphone i gave my son the other one and i'm like look at this kid walking around with this fucking phone and he gets pretty much it's hard to not give them what they want because christmas comes their birthday comes you buy them a fucking 
PlayStation 3 or whatever. But I don't know that they've ever really wanted something that they didn't get. And we don't spoil them. But what kids want is just sort of like much more accessible than it used to be. Hmm. It's it doesn't cost it costs a hundred bucks or two hundred bucks to get your kids something. And they're they're kinda happy, but they're also not I don't know, I don't I don't find my kids like uh they seem satisfied in a bad way. Ooh. Yeah, I know they what you mean. They seem too satisfied. They don't seem worried. They're, they should be worried a little bit. They should bit. be worried. Every, we, should, we should still be worried. I I'm sent them to public school. That's the best thing I ever did. Yeah. Good public school, but they're around kids that are coming from poor homes. And is that good? Why is that good? Because to me, it's like I went to private school for part of my education and public school for most of it. And I, when I was in the private school, I felt very... Um, I didn't feel like it was real. I didn't feel like I was growing in in a sense of like uh, socially in any mm-hmm. way. I felt like I I was judged, and I felt like I couldn't be special in that environment. And in public school, I felt like I could be one of the smarter kids. It was tougher to make sports teams. It was, um, you know, some of my best friends lived in you know one bedroom apartments with their mothers with no dad, and and to me, it just made me really appreciate what I had, and it made me. Um, pick up some of their work ethic. I think like my kids are going to school. They went to a Spanish immersion program. So a lot of their friends are, you know, uh, Latino speaking homes. A lot of them are undocumented workers, their parents. Their parents want their kids to do to do well much more than white kids do. It, hmm. there, there, there's going to be a, an ascension between these two generations. Like there won't be for kids in private school. And I want my kids to be a part of that that trajectory. That's a really good uh, way of looking at it. The only thing that I worry about is the lack of motivation of the actual teachers themselves and the lack of compensation. I think we got a real problem in this fucking country where we don't take education seriously as far as like funding it and paying right. teachers and, and treating the job of taking care of your children and educating them like this fucking huge honor that it should be. Mm. It should be a big goddamn deal. And for well, a lot it of is, them, it's babysitting. But in a lot of public schools, if you go to charter schools, there's a philosophy like there is with private schools where the teachers are on board, they're motivated, they're excited about this, you know, different what charters. What is a charter school? What do you mean by charter A charter school? means that it's a public school, it's accredited by the public school system, but they come up with their own M.O their own philosophy whether it's um um uh what do you find those you can every somewhere every neighborhood has them they actually have services that will help you my friend just went through this service that helped their kids find charter schools that would Mm -hmm. be suited for them you know whether your kid's more creative artistic or mathematical you can find charter schools that fit your kid's personality right but they're they're free but the the teachers are there because they they want to be a part of this you know green dot schools are all charter schools mm-hmm. and there are ways that they you can turn inner city um, test scores around from the lowest in the state to some of the highest scoring ones in the state without money with the same teaching pool but attracting the teachers that are that are more into like um, Waldorf philosophy which is right. non media and tactile yeah um, so I, and in my kids school is is a charter school and that it's a Spanish immer- it's actually dual language immersion so the Spanish kids are learning English as the English kids are learning Spanish at the same time mm. and um, and so the teachers they're getting are actually really really you know they're they're dynamic excited teachers that's great I just and wish they were paid more. It drives me nuts that it's not a, a huge 
position. Right. But it's not like being a doctor. Right. You know, I mean, it, it should be just like being a fucking doctor. And that's a pragmatic position to take. I mean, if you want to be fiscally responsible, we are a service-based economy, and our kids are not learning skills that will let them be, you know, be yeah. uh, um, uh, educators and develop the next new software and be able to go into other countries with knowledge we're we have no manufacturing and we're we're you know breeding kids like they're going to work in a fucking uh, a steel mill yeah they took the manufacturing right out from under america and the 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 really fascinating thing about it is it's just if you wanted to really promote a stronger america which is what everybody always talks about the first thing you would do is make less losers isn't the best resource human beings? And that's the resource that's cultivated the least. The, right. the resource that's cultivated the least is young people. And young people have massive amounts of potential. They can grow up to be huge winners, or they can grow up to be a fucking cultural liability, a, right. a societal liability. And we don't make that distinction. We don't say, well, here's our potential. Our potentials are young people. Let's throw all our money in our potential. And within 20 years or less, we'll have a fucking amazing new generation of human beings that are succeeding and figuring out how to solve all of America's problems. No! No, you get old cunts who just hang on to their money and give it to their fucking kids and, right. and try to spend as little in taxes as possible. That's why you have things like the NFL, which is fucking tax-free. <laughs> the NFL is tax-free. All yeah. the religions, tax-free. Right. Scientology, tax-free. Catholic Church, tax-free. College universities. Yeah. You know, there's a there's a fucking joke right there. You got a bunch of most most major universities, their board is made up of guys that sit on the boards of Procter and Gamble mm -hmm. and uh and they come in and they they are teaching middle management. They don't want kids to break out and uh they don't want philosophers that are going to buck the system. They want people to come out and keep the status quo. Yeah. So the only the only way you uh like I would love for my kid to just take a couple years and go travel, you know, just read, travel, challenge, experience. Yeah. Open your mind. Then right? figure out what you want to do when you go to college. But um well, at this show that we all got started on this because this show that you're uh that you're involved in is it's got to come back. This is fucking crazy. If you can handle doing six more seasons, then I think it's up to the people that love the show to find the stories and send them to you. Oh, I don't know if I want. I have to figure out if I want to, quite honestly. <laughs> it's bittersweet I, when yeah, they succeed well, I, I sometimes. Enjoyed, I enjoyed doing it in, a, in some ways, but in other ways, I enjoyed not doing it more. Right. Like right now, I, I enjoy this time more than anything. Right. I, I really appreciate the life that I've uh, figured out how to put together. And doing uh, stand-up and doing podcasting and doing the UFC is a lot of shit. Right. And when I added that show to it, I got some anxiety. Yeah. I really got a little bit of, I was kind of freaking out a little bit at certain times. It was just, it was just so much work. It was so overwhelming. It was so much stress. You know? I'm just coming out of it. I just did six weeks on a yeah. TV show. TV shows are, and look, I'm happy to have it. We're not complaining, folks. Yeah, just as a reality. It's but, a reality of the human body and the human mind cycling through all that information and all that right. work and time. And it's the if you have the choice in your life to put yourself under that kind of pressure nonstop, there's no break from it. You're thinking about it all the time. You're yeah. traveling. You're depriving your family of, of, of time with them. So it just becomes like, you know, you can do your podcast on your own terms when you want. Yeah. You, you sell your own ads. There's nobody in between you and doing it. Yeah. Stand-up is very similar. 
And then once you get into business, no matter how great the network is or the producers you're working with, there's just a lot of people that you're pleasing and accountable to. That was a real issue. There was a real issue um, with uh, communicating with people that have ideas about how they wanted things to be that were contrary to the ideas that I had. Yeah. And like, having these discussions, which is mind-numbing discussions, like why? Why are we doing it? Why is this spooky music playing? Right. Why are we cutting to commercial pretending that something happened? Why you know why is this going on? And those those conversations hurt my fucking brain. And uh, they have this way of doing things that a, a lot of these people that produce and and edit these shows that they're so used to doing it that way. They think that is the way you do it. Yeah, every commercial you have to tease these people, so they tune into the. Mm-hmm. And, and my attitude is like, they stay if they like it. Mm-hmm. If they don't want to stay, fuck it. Like, let them change the channel. Mm-hmm. There's 300 million fucking people in this country. Are you really, <laughs> like, trying to cling on to every person? Because in, in doing so, you become a needy fuck, and you create a show that sucks. And you create a show that's just like every other fucking thing that's mediocre. And it doesn't have to be that way. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make me change. It, I don't fucking watch a ghost show, and when they go, what was that? And they cut to commercial, I go, man, I have to find out right. what that was. Right. Right. It could be the first time they ever caught a ghost ever. on TV. First ever. Ever. Yeah. But but I got to sit through this. No, it, and it's the the shows that do stand out and that become historically great shows. They the completely change. Look at Breaking Bad. Yeah. They fucking show you at the beginning of the season how the season's going to end and yeah. then you catch up to that. Yeah. Or, you know, you watch um uh, all in the family, and you go. We can't talk about these topics. Right. Yes, we can't can. have an episode with no laughs in it. Yes, you can. Yes, sure, you, you can. can. You can on a sitcom like All in the Family. They had an episode that was incredibly depressing. Right. Gloria yeah. gets raped. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, you can do anything as long as you do it well and with and an artistic have, vision. Yes, you have to have a vision. You have to have yes. confidence. Yeah, and um, that's what I like about HBO. Having worked on HBO shows a little bit, is they go. Here's the keys. A lock up when you're done. Mm-hmm. We'll let you know if we're going to do another season. That's beautiful. But they don't micromanage. They have confidence in you, and or they wouldn't have picked you. Well, but- they, in all fairness uh, about sci-fi, they were great. And they did, by the end of the season, let me pretty much do the show I wanted to do. So by the end of it, when we started talking about, like when we got down to, like the episode on psychics, we did an episode on psychics. It was basically, they gave us no notes. It was great. By the time we got to like the sixth episode, it was pretty smooth. That we, we dealt with some stuff where we had some real answers. And but the problem is how many of those fucking things are out there? Right. How many how many you know, it, it, ghosts maybe ghosts are real. You know, it's possible that ghosts are real, but most likely you're gonna talk to a bunch of liars. You know? Well also to call a ghost an entity when really it's just a ghost is a description of something that exists in in our space. But maybe not in our vibration. Maybe mm-hmm. it's a it's a different time that happens to be in this space. But I mean, it's not a thing. It's like a it's an energy. Have you ever had a ghost experience? Yes. Really? Yeah, I did it? a Ouija board one time, and it freaked me the fuck out. You did it with your with another person? I did it in college with a few people. They but were I, all bullshitting. Everybody was moving it around. No, no, no. I had my <laughs> I had my hands on it. It was spe- it was spelling shit. You were the only one that with your hands on it, right? Oh my god. Yeah. No, it freaked me the fuck out, and I was. I'm, what was it saying to you? Yeah, I I can't remember, but it was suck a specific. It was a it said suck, suck my, my cock, and the cock. weird thing was there was this cock. Uh, this ghost, ghost cock, cock in my mouth. 
And you would think with a ghost cock, it was like cold, like an icicle. It was cold instead of hot. And you think, how much could it cop? Right? It's a ghost cock. This thing kept coming and coming. Oh, that's the noise it made. And it, wait, where were you this night? I was in another dimension. Ciao. You were talking my car. <laughs> it was Halloween. It was Halloween. God damn it. Yeah, it's um, it's it's yeah, hard fun. to imagine like uh, how limited we we are in our thinking in terms yeah. of like having to call it a ghost or a anything. Yeah. It's just like what what I feel like what we understand is an accident. It's little shit. We mm-hmm. we got a glimpse in the fucking mirror at a naked chick getting out of the shower. That's that's our understanding of life. That's why my whole thing about atheists and I've been talking about the show lately. Uh, and I shouldn't use, even use the word atheist because it's a it's a it's a it's a broad stroke to say people that don't believe that there can be a God whatsoever. I I'm with you that there's no religion, but I'm not with you that you understand so much about the universe that you can categorically deny that God exists. God meaning somebody who knows way the fuck more than you that set shit up and is keeping it going. It might not even be somebody. I mean, it might be the energy of the universe itself, the mind of the universe itself. The real problem that I have with uh, atheists is uh, the ones who haven't done psychedelic drugs. Because anyone who says that they're an atheist, if how many have you gone on a real mushroom trip? Have you ever done DMT? If you've never smoked DMT and you say you're an atheist, try smoking DMT. Try taking ayahuasca and connecting to the spirit world. It sounds like bullshit. No, but most religions see, involve some torp of some type of uh, hallucinogenics. Not, not only that, most of the origins of most religions probably came from psychedelics. In fact, John Marco Allegro, a guy who was a scholar who was the head uh, decipher of the Dead Sea Scrolls, the oldest known version of the Bible by like a thousand years, he wrote a book called The Sacred Mushroom and the Cross, and that book was based on his his deciphering of the Dead Sea Scrolls and his interpretations of it was that the entire Christian religion was a massive misunderstanding. And what it's originally about was psychedelic drugs and fertility rituals, and right. that they hid all of this stuff, especially the, the properties of these psychedelic mushrooms. They hid them when they were conquered by the Romans. So they hid them in parables. They hid them in stories. And that a lot of the stories of uh, Adam and Eve and the magic apple and and uh, various uh, different stories of uh, religions like Moses and the burning bush, even re- modern day religious scholars now believe that the modern the Moses burning bush story was based on him taking psychedelic drugs. Yeah. And the reason why it's a burning bush is because the acacia bush, which is incredibly common in that area, is rich in DMT. It's one of it's it's a very high content DMT plant, and burning is how you get the fucking DMT out of it. You smoke it, so you extract it from the bush, you smoke it, yeah. and then you see God, and then God gives you these these sets of rules how you should live your life. Damn. People who say they've never had psychedelic trips, like Dawkins, is a famous atheist who's never had a psychedelic experience. And I'm like, you know, and he say he's expressed interest in trying LSD under a clinically safe situation. But psychedelic drugs, especially like real powerful ones like dimethyltryptamine, offer you a view of reality that is it's not possible to achieve without them. And when you get that view of reality, it's so much more complex and powerful and moving than regular reality itself that 
it throws into question everything that you've come to accept as as fact about reality, fact about the world. And you realize that there is some sort of unspoken connectivity to everything, that every action has a reaction, that everything you do really does affect everything around you, and that you can, in fact, almost orchestrate your reality to a certain extent by your thoughts and your actions and your will and your, 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 your feeling about things and how you, how you behave. And that is God. Hmm. I mean, that is that 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 experience that you have is literally the the the, the motivating factor to be good. The motivating uh, influence that that some people uh, need and and have experienced that leads them to be better persons, a better person, and leads them to to live a life that is you know, more moral, more loving, more kind, more godlike. It sounds like the well, no, word I God think, is a r- tricky one because well, it sounds I think like that bullshit. God is, um, to me, like, um, we're so socialized to think about, like we talk about the difference between me and you and how fearful I am about needing to have security and all this mm-hmm. stuff. And if you take that away, there's God. If you take away all your fears, and in other words, if you trip on something, for lack of a better word, it gets rid of a lot of those, um, the, the, the context yeah. of life. Yeah. And what's left is this communion with getting up, up against the universe in a mm-hmm. way that's much more pure, where you're not wasting your cerebral energy uh, with worry or fear or what am I supposed to do tomorrow or I shouldn't be fucked up right now. This is like my father was. You know, it's all, all these different dynamics come in. And I think that drinking in a small way is, it, it addresses this like with the Catholics. You know, wine. Have some wine. Mm. It's it it maybe lessens your inhibitions and and opens you up a little bit to what would be a you know a more um, you know deep understanding of spirituality. Yeah, I think it also uh, unites people by loosening their inhibitions and and there's there's a there's a, there's benefits to alcohol socially where it allows people to have fun and laugh with some. You know, some people get angry. I have I have people that I know that, you know, would have like a drink or two drinks. And also they become these weird, angry people. Jekyll and Hyde. Yeah, that's fucking real, man. I didn't think that was real until uh, I met some people in L.A. and, and saw it and saw that, that anger come over them. Like as yeah. a couple of drinks, like he's never angry. Like, why is he angry? It's just right. there's a torture inside them that they hold back until they get those couple of drinks. And then that tortured person takes over the fucking wheel and mm. starts driving the bus. And yeah. it gets real fucking strange. Man. Yeah. Comedians, I've seen angry comedians where I never would have thought they were angry. And then they have a couple of drinks and they just want to fight people, insult people. And it's like, it's strange. Well, it seems like a lot of resentment comes out. Yes. People that push down a lot of resentment. It all yeah. comes out. Oh, you think you're so... All the yeah. things that they oh, were yeah. afraid to say before. And it's There's like... There's a lot of people like that, man. Yeah. There's a lot of people that have resentment. I can't stand, I mean, maybe because I haven't drank in so long. And because my father was an alcoholic, I have bad associations with people being drunk and being in my fucking space. And so now it's like, I I have friends that are good drunks, but even good drunks, I don't have that much tolerance for because I want to have a fucking conversation like this. I don't want to, I don't want to have to rise to your level or sink to your level because you set the, when you're drinking, you set the tone. Yeah. Everyone else is supposed to fucking fall in line. Otherwise you go like, oh, what? Oh, I'm ridiculous. I'm drunk. You can't be. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Those exactly. Those people are the worst. Oh. That is the worst. 
Those are, oh, what, you fucking, you gotta, you're judging me because I'm drunk? Because right. you, you're sober? Right. You're so oh, special? You're so good? Maybe you're afraid. <laughs> what are you afraid of? Come on, have a drink with me. Have Those a drink with me. people are the worst. That's Don't you want to be worst. like me? Have a drink with Barf. me. Oh. Ugh. I'd love to, though. I'd it's love the, to drink again. It's the best, like indication that we are a really fucking flawed society is that the worst drug the drug that does not give you introspective thinking the drug that doesn't make you paranoid doesn't make you more sensitive Dumbs you down it's everywhere right. it's in every fucking restaurant they have it in liquor stores they have it in drug stores cvs every fucking supermarket has whiskey and everywhere wine and eat. beer restaurants everywhere you go right every fucking sports stadium there's a, a movie theater near my house it's amazing they have real food and they have these huge seats it's called the cineopolis have you uh, ever been to one of those no. they're a chain they're all over la I think I think they're maybe nationwide. I think there's one in Marina Del Rey it's, now. Yes, exactly. And it's amazing. It reclines. You get this amazing seat. You order food, and they bring you wine. Mm-hmm. You can have beer. I mean, it's incredible. Yeah, it's everywhere. Booze is everywhere, and it's the worst. It's the worst thing for you physically, and it's the it's the thing that makes you fall into line the easiest. Look at football games. Yeah. Beer, drink beer, watch this stupid uh, fucking game. Woo! Oh. Speaking of football, do you bet? I don't. I used to gamble on fights. Yeah. But now I find it inappropriate that I commentate and still gamble on them. Oh, yeah. That could that could get you into trouble, huh? I don't think it can because it can't affect the outcome. But if I was, uh, you know, if I was betting on a fight and then someone thought my commentary was particularly biased, which I have been accused of before. You know, like if I prefer a certain style of fighting or I think a certain style is more intelligent or approach is more intelligent or I feel like this guy's doing better than that guy and then someone at home goes, yeah, well, you need to fucking talk about the other guy. You know, you're biased. Everyone has a different point of view on fights, so it's very tricky, you know, to not be biased. Right. Or to not appear biased or give everybody equal play. So if they found out that I was, if they thought I was biased and I was betting on the, that fighter that I was biased towards, that could be a real issue. So it no one's ever told me. It could make your life stressful to have to even deal Just, with that. Yeah, it's not, it doesn't make any sense. But I give my friends advice. Like mm. when uh, when my friends come to Vegas to fights, I'll, you know, I'll give them the betting line and I'll say, I think this is a good bet. And right. This is a good bet and this is a good underdog. Take that. Right. Because I'm, uh, I don't watch much sports. I don't watch a lot of football, but I love the math of it. I love to like, like um, betting pools, um, fantasy football, which I just got into this year because uh, this is a, a thing called FanDuel.com. Have you uh, heard of it? No. What is that? It's amazing. It's what uh, is it? it lets me get involved with football. It's like a, it's a, it's a fantasy football league. Where you can bet cash online. Ooh, I like that. But what I what I do is I do it with my son, and I got my brother-in-law and my cousin. We all started a, a pool together, and this, then you go on. That's awesome. There's no question that makes it more fun to watch, right? I wouldn't watch it otherwise. I mean, t- the thing is, is people and people think they're good at it, but um, try try Fanduel because you can find out. And every week, the best part is you start from scratch. You can Fan build Duel, a whole new team. Fanduel F A N D U E L dot com. Um, try it because. Uh, to me, if you if you have to watch sports, maybe you're a woman that's listening. You got to watch sports. Fucking bet, and you'll give a shit for a change. Even five bucks. You can actually bet five bucks on this, but at the same time, you can uh, you can have two hundred dollars match if you want to bet two hundred. Uh, FanDuel will match your first two hundred dollars if you sign up using the code Greg FanDuel.com/slash 
or you put in the code Greg, top right-hand corner. Do you know about the controversy about the Floyd Mayweather fight? No. Okay, Floyd Mayweather fought Canelo Alvarez and fucking tooled him. It was a brilliant boxing display. Right. Won every round. I mean, maybe he didn't win a couple of rounds here or there where, you know, Canelo hit him more to the body. But for the most part, in my opinion, won basically every round. Right. At least close to every round. Everyone scored Floyd Mayweather way ahead except one of the judges who made it a draw. And then it turns out that this judge, who's a woman, also judged another very controversial fight between Tim Bradley and Manny Pacquiao, where Tim Bradley beat Manny Pacquiao in a fight where nobody thought Tim Bradley won. But she scored it for Tim Bradley in that fight, and she scored this fight a draw. Well, the reason why that's interesting is because judges can have a huge impact on bets. And all it takes is one judge to come along that's willing to throw her reputation down the toilet for X amount of money. I don't know how much money you could pay them. And in doing so, if she makes that a draw, that means it's a split decision or a majority decision. That means everybody that paid, you know, you bet $10,000 to win 1000 that Floyd Mayweather is going to win a unanimous decision. You lose now. Right. You lose that bet. And there's a lot of fucking money on Floyd Mayweather winning a unanimous decision because most people so the bookies who are smart, win when you're on the line. Mm-hmm. That's when they make their money. Well, yeah, not there's not just the bookies, but the casinos, the casinos that put these weird bets out there, mm-hmm. like you know bets that it goes the distance, bet that it, it's over in the first round, bet that it's a unanimous decision. That's a weird under bet. over, not and... just a decision because Floyd won. But unanimous decision. Right. And that's a big bet. How did she get to judge again if she'd already blown She's one? She's a fucking corrupt cunt. Most really? likely. If I had a guess, I had a guess because she resigned from boxing. She said she's going to step away. Thanks for everything. Take care. Meanwhile, she's in the Cayman Islands fucking counting thousands. Who knows what happened? So you Who think knows? that the, if they track her banking records, you think some money is going to show up? I would imagine the governor is involved in investigating this. That's how bad it was. The governor of Nevada has stepped in to investigate how this fucking person could have judged this fight this way. It's that bad. The thing is, Floyd Mayweather boxed the shit out of Canelo Alvarez. Yeah. I mean, it was brilliant. It was a brilliant display. And when they read the score, he had a big smile on his face. He knew he won. And they said, you know, you know, 116, 116. He went, what? A draw. He went, what? Like, he, it was like, what the fuck are you talking about? But isn't it like quantifiable? It's the number of punches, isn't it, that are landed? The number of punches were so far in Floyd Mayweather's camp that you would have to be fucking crazy to objectively look at that fight and think that Canelo Alvarez won But that that's fight. what the score is. Isn't yes. it literally the number of punches? It's the number of punches. It's also defensive movement, like uh, controlling the ring. It's, uh, you know, who gets to dictate the pace, who's more aggressive. There's a bunch of different factors, but punches landed is a big one. And what and was more... the spread on the other cards? The other one was like he won by like several rounds. Yeah. Most most people so thought it wasn't it was, even close no, on the other one. No, ones. it wasn't even close. I mean, most people thought it was it was a 12-round fight. Most people thought he won at least 8 rounds. At least 8 rounds. 8 rounds is being nice. 
being nice to Alvarez that he wow. won four rounds. And this fucking cunt called it a draw. Jesus. And then she, then she quits. You take care, everybody. She's, she's going to get she's death, gonna get death threats. threats. She's got death threats like crazy coming at her. I mean, that's one of the things that's been discussed online is the amount of people that are furious because they bet. If it's a 10 to 1 bet that Floyd Mayweather was going to win, if you came to me and you said, hey, Floyd Mayweather is fighting Canelo Alvarez, it's 10 to 1 that he wins the unanimous decision. I got 1000 bucks. You think I should think I should bet to win 100 I would go, fuck yeah. Mm-hmm. He's going to box his shit out of that kid. He's the best boxer maybe ever. Really? Yeah, maybe ever. Wow. Yeah, as far as like the limiting the amount of damage his opponents do, what he's lacking is he has really small hands and he breaks them a lot. His bone structure is not incredibly like thick. He's not like built like a Tyson or something like that. And so he's had like serious hand problems. So he's broken his hands several times. But it times. seems like there haven't been any big challengers against him, have there? Just that one. Canelo was uh, a big challenge. He was a tough guy. He was cr- killing everybody. He's undefeated coming yeah. into this fight. Just Mayweather is on another level technically. Like his his box. He's he's a skillful person. He understands the art of being there and not being there. He understands tempo. He understands footwork and movement. He understands like everything that like the great boxers of the the world through the last hundred years. Whether it goes from Muhammad Ali, Joe Lewis. All the great boxers have understood certain things about boxing, but in my opinion, he implements them better than anybody. And he has this ability to shut down other fighters. Guys like, like, uh, like, um, what the fuck's his Pacquiao? name? Pacquiao? Knocked out Pacquiao. The guy that knocked out pa- Marquez. Juan Manuel Marquez knocked out Pacquiao with one punch in like the third of their three fights. Just cl- clipped him, knocked him unconscious. Floyd Mayweather boxed circles around Marquez. He made him look silly. Like he never hit him once. Mm. Like he just understands how to do that. He also trains harder than anybody oh, ever did, right? fucking his work ethic is second to none. He talks a tremendous amount of shit too. And so he has a lot of people that buy the pay-per-views just to see him lose. Mm-hmm. Like he, the, the, the fight with Canelo Alvarez is the highest selling pay-per-view ever. 2.2 million buys. That was his last yeah, one? Yeah. That's a huge amount. So he made a hundred million dollars from that fight. Wow. And the amount of money that's Shit. passed hands in betting was substantial. So this woman scoring in a draw had a huge effect on betting. A well, here's effect. where it has no effect at all. FanDuel.com. Ha! It's you and your friends if you want to. You can get in all kinds of different groups of betting. Um, it's uh, one week fantasy football, real cash. They're going to pay out. This sounds crazy. $135 million this year. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, there are immediate cash payouts, no upfront fees. How you do they do that legally? Because there's, I looked it up online. You can't gamble online, but fantasy football leagues are carved out and are legal. That's what it said. Yeah, I looked at it right on the FanDuel site. Um, it should all be legal. You can play one week. You can play every week. Uh, re, you know, Come up with a new team each week. Um, check it out. Uh, again, first 200 listeners to sign up will have their deposit matched up to $200. But you have to enter my code, Greg, when you join. That's right. FanDuel.com. Click on the top right corner microphone. Put in Greg. Sign up today. Now, Joe. Now, Greg. Let's talk about some of these dates you have coming up. I always hate it when uh, you know people say to me later, well, why didn't you fucking uh, tell me you were performing uh, at this place? Uh... You, can't, you can't miss Joe Rogan if you're in California especially. 
You like working in California. Well, um, since my show's done, I really uh, I felt rusty when I got off doing the show, and I was doing some sets that weren't going as good as I would like them to, so I really made a big commitment to do a lot of sets and start just really getting right back into it, dive right. in. So I booked everything. I booked Bray Improv, Ontario Improv, Irvine Improv, Comedy Magic Club, and uh, I just decided to just fucking just go crazy. Go, Houston, get right Texas, back into October 18th. Uh, Irvine on the uh, November 11th. Yeah, all of it's at JoeRogan.net. Yeah, and Manchester, England. What's that all about? I'm going to England. I'm actually going to Germany for um, a medical procedure, this blood-spinning procedure that we're not allowed to do some stem cell shit that we're not allowed to do in the United States um, for a disc issue that I've been having in my neck from jujitsu. And uh, Peyton Manning went there and did it and fixed him. Like, he had two neck surgeries. His career was basically over. Went and did this. Healed him right up. Uh, so they take blood out. They, they take spin a massive it. amount of blood out, like a liter out of you. And then they, they have this process that they, they take this blood and the anti-inflammatory uh, ability of this process, once they inject this treated blood back in your body, is magical. People have had, yeah. like, serious injuries, um, have them fixed. Like, my friend Dana, Dana White, had uh, Meniere's disease, which is, like, a serious fucking hearing this issue. This guy who's the head of the UFC? Yeah. He had a serious uh, ear issue. Where it was like he had this massive ring in his ear. He would, he would lose his equilibrium, get dizzy. It was all because of this infection, this inflammation in his ear. One injection gone. He's wow. had surgeries. He's had treatments. He's been doing it, dealing with it his whole life. He had one injection of this, and it's gone. And the uh, FDA won't approve it in this country. Not yet. They will eventually. But that's it's, incredible. It's all the a relic of the Bush administration. Right. The uh, resistance to doing mm. stem cell research because of the far right. Yeah. Which is just the stupidest fucking shit of all time. Well, it's, the craziest thing is it was based on because they used to have to get the stem cells from embryos, and now they don't have to. They can get it from. A number of different ways, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And um, you know, and they also get it from your own body, which is what they're doing in Germany. It has nothing to do with a, a, an embryo. You're, they're get, literally getting it from your body to heal your body. It's incredible stuff. And so you're like, fuck it, I'm doing a show while I go over there. Oh well, yeah, well I decided because I'm going with Dana. Um, I said uh, we, we're going to go um, uh, to Germany, and then he said, do you want to work the event in Manchester? It was a UFC in Manchester. I said, yeah. So then I just booked a couple gigs in Manchester. Cool. Yeah, England is I I have a huge following in England and I barely get there. I'm there so rarely. So it sold out two shows there like that. But I'm uh, the fucking crowds in England. I don't know if you've ever been over there. I was going to ask you how how is it different? Awesome. Really? They're awesome. They're amazing. They're so good. They're so good. They're right up there with Canadian crowds, yeah. which are fucking incredible. Right. You know, I just did uh, Toronto with Brian Callen mm-hmm. and Tom Segura. We did uh, the Sony Center. Yeah. And then we did Second City. They're fucking amazing. America is filled with so many twats. I mean, most of America is cool, but if you, all you need is one out of ten that are douchebags, and you're going to find that. Yeah, you probably don't get bachelorette parties in England <laughs> as much. I mean, that's the downfall of American comedy is the bachelorette the party. comedy club. It's, that doesn't happen at a theater as much mm. as it happens at a club. Right. But at a club, that's a big issue. We're going to take her out to see Greg Fitzsimmons. It's a bachelorette party. Will you make fun of her? Mm-hmm. Excuse me. Excuse me. Here's her name. I wrote this down. Right. Will you say this? Yeah. She, you you'll say? see her. You'll see her. She has a, a, a sash and a tiara, and she's yeah. got a dick on her straw. 
and they'll bring you like a bachelor party as well. They'll bring you like a list of things that would embarrass the guy. Yeah. Will you bring this up? Like, get the fuck out of here. Yeah. You came to a comedy show. Pretend you go to the movies. If you went to a Harrison Ford movie, would you expect Harrison Ford to pause the movie and start talking about your friend? No. Yeah. It's not about your fucking friend. I remember when I was coming up, I, I as a rule, I wouldn't do that shit. And then some guy, some fucking uh, goomba comes up to me in one of the clubs in New York City. And he's like, yeah, it's a bachelor party. It's my buddy. Uh, you, you know, I want you to say a couple things. And I'm just looking at him like, I'm not fucking saying it. He hands me a hundred bucks and he goes, you know, to say his wife's a whore. I'm like, done. <laughs> pay for it, asshole. You want me to say something? What the fuck? What would you pay to get in? His wife's a whore. Yes. Yes. That I'm all over done. that shit. I had a uh, I had a bachelorette party one time, and they they started fucking uh, yelling at the mother. The mother of the bride was heckling me to the point where the bride said, "Mom, shut the fuck up!" And then she got a fight with her mother, and the whole crowd loved it because nobody likes a bachelorette party. Yeah, we don't like you. You think that we like you because you're out and it's gonna be fun, and you you make guys feel like they're gonna get laid. But do the numbers. <laughs> There's eight of them. Who, do you think one is gonna peel off and fuck you? Nobody's getting nobody's laid. Nobody's gonna fuck you. No. No. They're going home together. And then uh, I was outside. You ever work Cleveland Hilarities? No. It's this club, but it's right on like one of the walk streets, you know, like the party walk streets. And I come out of the club and there's this chick sitting on the curb, bachelorette party gone wrong. She's vomiting. Friends got the hair back. The other ones are all concerned. I pull out my video camera and I start recording it. And one of these wildebeest comes at me, big fucking girl, no shoes on. And she's screaming and I have to stop filming. And they like surround me. And all of a sudden it's like, here I am. I'm the comedian. Everyone just saw in the club, and now I'm being chased down like by jackals down the Wall Street. <laughs> and this is the girl from the show. I don't know if she was in the show or not. I just knew she was throwing up, and I well, was. Did they know who it. you were? Did they recognize no, you? No, from no, the show? no, no so idea. You, you, this was just a random. I was girl a middle-aged up. guy with a fucking receding hairline, videotaping their drunk friend, and they came at me. Ugh. And there was nothing I could do. I I laughed at first, but then I couldn't really laugh because they were going to physically attack me and people were watching and it was kind of like a I was like an ashamed walk away. <laughs> <laughs> the last time I had a big bachelorette party at my show, they got kicked out. It was in Austin at Cap City. Yeah. And is fucking. It's her bachelorette party. Yeah. She getting married. Yeah. And they wouldn't stop fucking screaming. They were yelling out at everything. And I just stopped it. I said, "You've all got to leave." I right. go, "I'm not gonna joke with you. I I can joke with you. You know, you fucking can't handle it. You can't handle. I can't handle you guys being assholes. Right. Like, are you listening to yourself?" Mm. And then I said, "You want to hear something? Do you really want to hear something?" I go, this is the sound of 300 people who also paid to be here tell you you're a cunt. Ready? And I put the microphone out into the audience and people just went, cunt! (laughs) I go, any questions? And they I go, paid the check and left. I, I kicked them out. I said, yeah. "You guys got to go. Oh. go. Get out of here. Get out of here." And then they were pissed. Yeah. After course. they left, they were pissed, as if screaming people didn't just scream cunt at them. Well, not only that, they always have to do this thing where they have outside in the front. They talk to the manager. They yeah. get kicked out of the room. They're mm-hmm. like, "No, we demand our money back." First of all, I was humiliated. Mm-hmm. I came here because I was a fan of Joe Rogan. Now I think he's a fucking asshole, right. a piece of shit. 
Yeah. And you know what else? He's not funny. It wasn't funny. They it was wasn't funny. He's not, and he's not funny. He couldn't handle that we were heckling. Yeah. He doesn't know how to handle it. Yeah. I, I, I love if you think that if you think that I'm an asshole, that's great. But you're not allowed to also say that I wasn't funny because you were <laughs> laughing before I called you a cunt. Well, they were um, a problem with the opening act, too. Um, I forget who it was. I think it was Duncan. They were a problem with him. And then when I got on stage, it escalated. And it was they were already telling me, like, the, the manager was like, we're probably going to have to kick these people out yeah. just to let you know, like, they're heckling really bad, right. a bunch of drunk girls. I'm like... She says the idea of like letting them in in a big party like that, it's always becomes about them and their party more than it is about the show. Right. 20 people together. They all know each other. They're all fucking hammered. They're all girls. They're wearing special hats. It becomes the more focus about, is on them. Yeah. And the thing is, comedy clubs should have one table in the back right corner, right near the exit, where they seat Bachelor <laughs> up. You want to come? Great. Here's your fucking table. Yeah. You make noise. You But they seat them right in front of the right stage where they can't, they can't get them out. You know, Capsa? Yeah, they were one of the big tables, right to the right, Just right, big, giant table where right the whole there. audience can see them. Yeah, yeah, it's no, it's bad. That was the last time I had a big bachelorette party yeah. at one of my shows. But it was—it's just—it's always the same thing. It's like it's very rare that a big group of people will get together and have everybody drinks, and there's not one person that's an idiot in that group that causes it to be all about them, right? You know, like because I, they're normally the life of the party. Oh yeah, not only that, they also feel like it's their obligation yeah. to like do something wild. It's your last night out. Yeah, they—they yeah. they, want to like you know. Rile this girl up and give make her an it extra memorable. shot and make. Wait till Peggy her. gets drunk; she's gonna heckle. I know it. <laughs> right. <laughs> and afterwards, Peggy's they're great. crying. She was crying even after I got off stage. Like they're still in the front. They ruined our fucking night. Yeah. No responsibility whatsoever for heckling. Take no responsibility whatsoever for being kicked out. Like yeah. you're you're kicked out. Like three hundred people called you a cunt. Right. Like that's not an accident. 300 people showed up to have fun, yeah. to laugh, and to be paid. fucking silly, and, and you didn't fit that. You disrespected all those other people who paid to see a show. Yeah. Who, I only go there once a year. Mm-hmm. So this was the show that they picked, and they got fucked by some dummy, some asshole who gives a shit about no one but themselves, decided to make it all about them. Mm-hmm. Decided they should be able to just yell out shit, make phone calls during the show. They were texting people and yeah. drink. It was just a disaster. Yeah, it's almost like, um, you know, bachelorette parties should just be stopped because really bachelor parties are perfect for men. It's everything that we want to be. We want to be debaucherous and watch strippers and drink a lot and maybe get in a fight and fucking, you know, you may lose a guy, you keep going. With bachelorette parties, like, it's not them. They see us do it and they think, I we want that an- that energy. We want that fucking raucous energy. But it's not them. And when push comes to shove, it peters out and it becomes annoying for everybody. It's not some of them. It's some of them, though. I yeah. had a friend who was a male stripper and he used to work bachelorette parties and he said, you'd be amazed at how many brides-to-be sucked his dick. Shut up. Oh, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, a lot. Wow. Happens. They have a couple of drinks. He's got a nice body. The husband doesn't. He's dancing in front of their face. She starts rubbing his cock. Let me see it. Let me see it. He pulls it out. He had girls suck his dick in front of their friends. Wow. Yeah. He work in Jersey? Uh, Boston. There's a movie out with um, Matthew McConaughey that's fucking good. Magic Mike? 
Did you see it? No. It's <laughs> no. How it's could not I? Like that. I didn't know what it was about. Oh sure. And I got sucked <laughs> into it. I well, did it's feel. Male strippers are all over the fucking previews. What'd you think? Right. I didn't see ah, the I previews. I thought it was about magic. <laughs> it was. Uh, it was like on cable, and I watched it with my uh, wife. But I, yeah, I wouldn't recommend it. But he is fucking great. Um, Joe Rogan, I want to get you out of here because uh, there's a there's too much to do. It's too much to do. <laughs> You're coming up in. Uh, I gave your dates. Yeah. Don't your worry podcast. about all my dates. JoeRogan.net. All right, and uh, check me out this weekend, Sacramento Punchline, September twenty awesome sixth to the twenty eighth. Also coming up the uh, October sixth at the LA Podcast Festival in Santa Monica, Stress Factory in New Jersey, also Philadelphia, San Francisco, Edmonton, Boston, all coming up in the next couple months. Um, I also want to thank my sponsor once again, Audible.com. Go to audiblepodcast.com/slash/greg. Go to fanduel.com and put Greg in in the top right corner. Get $200 in matching money for the first 200 people that sign up. And that'll do it. Thanks uh, also to Catherine Lawson, our producer, Kevin Kraft, the engineer, and thank you guys for listening. God bless America.